Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're going to be looking at a number of UK equities as well as discussing the key themes in markets. And to do that, we're joined kindly once more by Alan Green. Alan, thank you very much for being with us this morning. Good morning, John. Good to be back on this rainy day. It is. It is. We've certainly seen a turn in the in the weather in recent days. And I mean, that's really, really been reflected in, in markets, Alan, really taking a, a turn yesterday in yeah. global equities. A huge sell-off we saw over in the United States yesterday was the worst sell-off since 2020. And you know, those first months after COVID started to, to spread throughout the globe. So um, looking at the Dow Jones, down about 1,200 points, um, about 4%, and about 4% given up on the S&P 500 as well yesterday, yeah. Alan. So yeah. huge moves. And this is all down to and down to what's been, you know, the driver of market moves so far this year. And that's inflation. We, we, we saw this, this morning uh, UK inflation 9.9% easing down from the double digits reading that we saw in the month prior, although um, still running very, very hot. Really looking at the figures there, it's down to lower fuel costs. But the move that we saw yesterday was down to, to US inflation. Now, they yeah. actually had a, a reduction. It was 8.5% CPI uh, on the prior month. When we got the, the data yesterday, it had reduced to 8.3. But the big thing here was it was above analyst estimates of, of 8.1%. So over the past month, markets have been pricing in a reduction down to 8.1%. We got that surprise on the upside of 8.3% year on year, month on month. We saw prices excluding food and fuel rise 0.6%. So that's obviously the services market there really shooting yeah. up. And that's what that's what unnerved markets. I mean, anybody looking yeah. at a chart of yesterday, we did see the S&P 500, the Dow Jones give up, and also the NASDAQ, you know, 2% within seconds, very, very quickly. And that's really, Alan, people moving their expectations of when the Fed's going to pivot down the line at some point. But when you're sort of looking at these markets, how much do you feel? Yes, we saw a knee-jerk reaction yesterday. Um, looking at futures here, you know, we're not seeing as much of a violent response today. I mean, how much do you think that move and the stabilisation here today is just simply the market resetting themselves and thinking, well, OK, we're going to be looking for a pivot. It could have been sooner rather than later if we saw a lower figure, but... Now, given what the Fed is doing, and to some extent the Bank of England, they're managing a recession at which they can turn off at any point. As soon as we go into a recession, as soon as we see, see uh, prices fall back, they can then pivot. And the market looks at that and think, OK, um, yeah, maybe we're going to see a bit of weakness out there in the economy. But you know, this isn't something that isn't controllable. And just thinking, OK, any dip at this point is something that's worth buying. Yeah, well, I think it is that, John. I mean, if you look at the drivers for the falls yesterday, um, as you say, the Nasdaq came off almost immediately as, as soon as it opened. But I mean, um, you've got uh, all of the leading tech stocks really plummeting. I mean, Facebook, um, well, Meta um, down 9%, uh, Chipmaker, NVIDIA down 9%, Amazon 
off 7%, um, you know, Apple plummeting also. And all the tech stocks, of course, um, their future earnings are, are you know, are, are extremely, or, or the, the valuations there that they're, that, that um, ref, are reflected in the market are based on future earnings, which are very racy. So any rise in interest rate, um, interest rates immediately impacts on that. So the prospect of this rise, I think, just uh, put investors into tailspin. So, uh, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, but I do just think it's uh, it's a correction, um, and I think today you'll see a lot of people buying that correction, and uh, you know certainly a return, not a not a bounce back to where it was, but I think we'll certainly see we'll certainly see uh, um, uh, the markets uh, certainly stabilize and, and and recover somewhat. But of course, there's an awful lot of uncertainty around. You know, there's so many factors. We're trying to keep inflation under control. We've got um, the winter of discontent uh, looming ahead of us. Um, and, of course, all of the ramifications, concerns over whether the measures to cap energy bills are sufficient. Of course, the EU have just announced this morning that uh, they've launched a package of, uh, of energy price caps. Um, and they've, they've been absolutely resolute in what they said, that uh, their solidarity with Kiev and Ukraine would be unshakable, um, and they would uh, they would stand firm against Russia, and uh, you know not be kowtowed by Putin's moves to shut off gas supplies. So uh, laudable indeed. But of course, how that will pan out, um, we're still trying to work out at the moment. In the UK, of course, Liz Truss, the new PM, has announced a range of measures to to cap energy bills. Uh, will they be enough? Um, it, it certainly means that we won't see the stratospheric. Uh, uh, price increases that were were uh, predicted um, uh, 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 even a few weeks ago, um, but uh, so the price cap in the UK will work in that regard. But there's still an awful lot of uncertainty. Um, but under underneath, you know, companies are still earning good money. You know, they're delivering on earnings, they're delivering returns. Um, the markets are still pretty healthy. It is isolated really to this issue around energy. It is. It is, and I mean. <laughs> Just looking at these figures here, uh, Alan, I mean, UK 9.9%, uh, the US 8.3%. They're, they're two figures that were lower than the previous months in terms of inflation. So yeah. inflation is falling. Fuel prices are are falling. What people are yes, paying for pumps yeah. is, is, is falling. And, you know, we, we were seeing inflation figures, you know, coming out sort of 18%, I think, was from, from an investment bank. Now, that was taken into consideration that we'd, continue to see higher energy costs for, for households. But if you have a price cap coming in, you know, that, that doesn't play out. You don't see those 18 percent rises. Of course, you know, there's different factors at play here. Of course, there's food prices that, that may start to uh, to play out in in, in markets. Uh, if you look at the soft commodities there, if we see a continued uh, conflict in, in Ukraine, which prevents uh, exports of grain that that will follow through and we'll see food but the fuel is the big one here and we're starting to see measures which are going to bring that down so you know from the fiscal side it looks as though you know there are measures being taken to bring inflation under control you know from the the monetary policy side we're seeing interest rate hikes you know we've seen the, the ecb um start to hike now mm. uh, of course the bank of england and, and the federal reserve have been doing it for some time so that you know there, there's real measures being put in place to bring this down we'll probably see a recession you know it will probably be a shallow one uh, and that's something that the market knows and just looking at what's happening out there this morning alan you know people are buying into that move looking well, they at are. futures 
Indeed, uh, they're buying into it. I think the futures are good. Um, I mean, one other factor that um, that's also worth mentioning too. Of course, we've got Putin and um, Xi of of China, who's leaving China for the first time in two years to meet uh, in Kazakhstan um, at the SCO meeting, which is the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. And um, this is uh, this is uh, a meeting of. Um, of uh, the ex-Soviet uh, Central Asian nations, who were trying to sort of put out a, an alternative, um, an alternative uh, collective um, and uh, a collective economic uh, um, powerhouse, if you like, to to the West, uh, to, to G7 and all the rest of it. Um, and of course, I think uh, I think with the the background tension in Taiwan, of course, the ongoing war in Ukraine, even though. Um, the media tell us that Ukraine have the upper hand at the moment. Of course, uh, that is the problem, isn't it? You know, I think um, I think the shock and horror of the invasion early this year has now receded. We're now aware it's going on, but you've got wall-to-wall coverage of the Queen's funeral at the moment, and of course, it's very hard to uh, form an assessment of that. But I think that's another factor. So, um, I, you know, markets are certainly looking from for some certainty from China and uh, and and also some certainty from Ukraine too in regard to its position with Russia. Indeed. And I'm mean, looking at the advances that Ukraine have made in, you know, in recent days, really over the last week, it's, it's been incredible. And, you know, that does sort of raise the question that, you know, wh- when do we start to see peace talks? Of course, they're saying at the moment they're not on the table, but, you know, as, as soon as, uh, you know, you start to see Ukraine stopping pushing uh, Russia back and we see a stalemate, possibly around the winter. You know, there could be talks around there or, you know, talks of talks to some extent. And that will only be seen as a, as a positive by, yeah, uh, by markets. Yeah. So something to, to keep an eye on there. But Alan, now let's move on to the equities that we're going to discuss today. Um, first up is a company that's really heavily linked to what we've just been speaking about in terms of uh, inflation and interest rates in Red Row, uh, the house builder, um, looking at shares ticking up uh, nicely on the day. And that's on the back yeah. of, you know, pretty positive full year results, Alice. What do they look like? It's a fantastic set of results, John. Um, and also, I think, you know, there we, we've got all this background uh, uh, buoyancy in the housing markets. We've seen the major housing companies uh, reports. Uh, you and I have discussed, of course, Barclay Group and Persimmon in, in recent weeks, and they're all pretty well telling the same story. But I mean, you've got an, a ten percent increase in revenue to two point one billion, uh, which is back to pre-COVID levels. Underlying uh, PBT profit before tax thirty one percent to four hundred ten million. You know, again pre. Covid levels um, and uh, order book of one point four billion, you know. So it's a really, you know, going for it's a very strong order book, and you know, th- th- there's also a lot of confidence in the board as well. I think uh, being signalled in the housing market, and of course in the in, uh, confidence in the uh, future performance of the company. We had a director buy a hundred thousand pounds worth of shares back in July uh, in the run up to or in the in, in, in the pre-close period. Um, and of course, we had the uh, a 100 million share buyback uh, launch as well, which is also going to be supportive for the share price. But, you know, we've said it before. I mean, house prices just seem to be evergreen in the UK. We're a finite, uh, a finite land mass. Of course, we're an island. So um, that's always going to be supportive of housing prices. And we have a huge burgeoning population. So there will always be demand. Um, 
Now, of course, if you know we, we've we've isolated the reasons for uh, for inflation and uh, you know the recessionary pressures, but if they the recessionary pressures do widen and it becomes it becomes a, a widespread recession, then we could be looking at a completely different picture. So so th- there is always that in the background. But I think you know if you're if you're investing into the markets and if you're looking for uh, uh, or companies that are going to continue to deliver growth, you've got to take a look at, at, uh, at companies like Red Row and Persimmon. I mean, the you know the shares of the shares are up this morning, as you said, at one percent, but they're still you know just off year lows at uh, four hundred and fifty pence, and um, we've got a year high of uh, getting on the seven pound fifty a share uh, and a dividend yield, of course, of five percent. And uh, I know some of the other house builders, I think Persimmon, have a much higher yield than that. But uh, they're certainly, given the the, the directed buyers back in July, the outlook, of course, um, uh, you know, is still very positive from the group. The uh, you know the chief the chief exec was very positive in um, echoing his his comments uh, uh, looking forward. But of course, um, it, it, it only goes so far. Um, uh, and of course, there are other factors beyond which, uh, you know, the, the board and, Rich, uh, you know, Richard Akers, of course, the non-exec chairman there, um, have no control over. Um, and certainly, certainly they're very, they're, they're very sort of positive in regard to total land holdings. You know, the plots are now up to 67,500 plots compared with just over 60,000 at the end of, 2019 um and uh along with the share buyback they've also increased the dividend too so um it, it's well you know we're seeing the same sound bites across all of the reports from the major house builders but i think they're confident that pretty well whatever's thrown at them in the coming weeks and months they can deal with um you know well placed to deliver another strong set of results quote unquote Yes, Alan. I mean, I, th- I think what you what you say there, weeks and months, really brings in this concept of time horizon when when you're investing and looking at um, certain companies. The companies like Red Row, Barrett's, Persimmon. If you're looking at the share prices, for me, they've largely priced in any slowdown in the housing market, which we've not yet seen, which we're likely to see over the weeks and months. Um, there could be some further downside, but I think a lot of it's already priced in. But if you're looking beyond weeks and months into years, you know those factors that you you mentioned there in terms of the dynamics of the UK housing market does suggest over time that we see higher housing prices and we see and um, continued demand for for housing. So you know, yes, there may be more downsides in these shares in the weeks and months, but I think if you're looking at a on a on a longer time horizon over over years, um, certainly a sector. Uh, to be looking at and given those results from from Red Row and what they're doing, as well as the shift out of London, which is quite interesting uh, to yeah. see in, in their strategy, which is starting to to play out. Um, maybe one of the house builders to to consider there. So I'm sure um, just looking here, I think we've covered all of the, the house builders for this round of earnings. So I think we're going to have to wait a few months to get further, further insights. But of course, that'll be something we'll be covering on the podcast when we when we get it. Um, so now let's move on, Alan, to a company that in the past we've had myself and uh, and you have had you know, differing differing views mm-hmm. on in bid stack. Um, I did say at one point that I think you know it was getting to that point where they really need to start recording some revenue, although they were going to be in in trouble and maybe miss the the opportunity in in game native advertising. But they, you know. 
looking at the figures, they seem to have done that. So, you know, they might with the argument that they could be generating more in revenue, but it's two million uh, for the first year, Alan. But what do their their rate recent updates look like? Well, it, it, it's 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 good progress, and and I think um, yeah, I, I, you know, as you say, John, we, we spoke about uh, we spoke about this second in the past, and I know there are a number of players in the private sector that have also had equally good offerings, and uh, I know you you felt that, that they could eclipse Bidstack uh, in its efforts to become the the de facto go to in game advertising platform but it does seem that bidstack have you know shrugged off the competition and have made that progress um and that that's been reflected now in the revenues and of course we you know there was a a big deal sort of put in place um uh, late last year with a leading triple a publisher um which really cemented the group's position and i think um you know all the all the way through we've been looking for signs of confidence so when the big players in the market start to engage with Bidstack, then you know that uh, you know most of the, the issues are being ironed out. And certainly, the past four or five years has been a series of steps forward by Bidstack to establish the platform, uh, establish an ROI uh, a platform, and all that, that that advertisers can look at and assess and gain a proper understanding of the value for money that they're getting from. From that, um, and indeed, uh, we'll discuss numbers in a second. But on the at the end of August, a few weeks ago, um, the uh, BizTech announced it had been in collaboration with the IAB, the Internet Advertising Bureau. Um, and effectively, what's that? What that's done? It's actually bought BizTech's own standards into the industry as the the blueprint for in-game advertising, and that's a huge endorsement, really, of. Bidstack's te- technology and also its position in the sector, and then uh, and then we come on to you know looking throughout the year we've seen uh, new contracts with other with other providers. August seventeenth, uh, a contract extension with Sports Interactive. That's the second one, so they've ex- uh, expanded that. We're seeing good revenues coming from the joint venture with Azerian, and then um, uh, as you said, John, two two million for the year. The interims to thirtieth of June, we saw revenues of two million on the half year. Um, margin increased in only forty percent from thirty four percent. Cash at the end of year of uh, three point seven million, um, and uh, and certainly um, c- certainly the the, the position uh, uh, going forward. Um, it's expanding its global me- media presence with um, an agency MMP um, who's uh, connected with more and more. Uh, global media partners, and also a few months ago, the company announced uh, it had uh, it had uh, appointed new chairman designate David Reeves, who's an industry veteran, ex Sony PlayStation, Capcom, and he's a non-exec director at Keywords previously, and also in, in, in um, engaged with a number of uh, of IT and software companies. So very good profile within within the industry, and I think you know. We can say the company's got a market cap of 33 million. Um, shares are a little off that year high of 5.9p, but at 3.5p, I think now you know the company's showing that it's growing revenues and uh, it's showing that um, it's now got the credibility and the gravitas within the industry to really ramp up this offering. And you know, as we've said before, you know, we could we could see very quickly that these revenues start to. Um, start to multiply and start to reflect the the market that Bidstack is uh, operating in. 
Indeed, indeed. I was, I was just looking at you know some some stats before we recorded, and you know there's a study by Dentsu which looks at global advertising spend, and it's predicted for 2022 to be uh, about seven seven hundred and thirty eight billion. And you're looking at bid stack two million. If they double that in the second half, say six million uh, revenue for the year. You know, there's a, there's a question to be answered here whether you know there's you know a, a larger in-game advertising uh, market out there which Bidstack aren't um, taking hold of, or is it is it a market that's still in its infancy and we're expecting more from it in the future? And, and that's probably a, a question that we're going to be uh, answering Alan, on future podcasts when we get further updates from uh, from Bidstack. Sure, there, there, there was just coming. There was some historical data. I think the the global marketplace for in-game advertising was 150 billion in 2019. It's growing at 13 percent per annum. Rate reckoned to be 260 billion by 2025. So at the moment, bid tax got a very small uh, percentage of that. But given that uh, it's jumped through the hoops and it's got the uh, it's got the traction now with the IAB, you know, I think. Um, I, yeah, it's got to deliver from here on in. So I think we 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 have to reasonably expect now multiplying revenues every year, and then obviously obviously moves to moves to profitability, and then of course it'll multiply from there. Indeed, indeed, and and, and looking at shares, you know, trading at their market cap roughly. I mean, if if we were optimistic and said they doubled their revenues in the second half, trading at five times. Um, sales, you know, at current levels, I think that's fairly, fairly well valued um, for for this point in time. Uh, but mm. of course, all all see, all to see um, in terms of you know the future revenues, and you know if they're able to to really push on from there, that would certainly start to look uh, look very cheap for for bid stack. So, Alan, let's now move on to clean tech lithium. We welcomed Dr. Aldo Boitano. Uh, the CEO of Cleantech Lithium to the podcast a few weeks ago to uh, discuss their upcoming results or potential results coming from their Chilean lithium assets. I mean, we saw those yesterday, Alan. So what do they look like? It's a very strong set of results, John. Of course, uh, you know, if, if like me, you know, in the area we work in, John, we are, we are um, seeing a lot of advertising from uh, from various companies and uh, and uh, you know receiving uh, you know receiving emails through from various parties and there's been a, a plethora or a huge increase that I've seen this year um, in ads for um, EVs you know switching over from your existing vehicle to EVs and a raft of deals out there on the market making it very attractive and it just signifies really the the absolute burgeoning growth in the EV industry. And that's, of course, before you get to other applications for lithium, such as the clean tech, um, you know, clean energy tech and all the rest of it. Um, But I mean, it's just brought home the importance of companies engaged in seeking out battery metals. And of course, clean tech lithium is is right there um, in the eye of the needle, as it were. Um, Market cap currently 42 million um, and shares trading just off that year high of 63p, currently 50 Four P, um, yeah, that, that's up from a, a year low of of uh, just under twenty P, um, and of course uh, the growth is all based on on the um, the upgrade uh, to the 
project in Chile. Uh, the company operates two key uh, lithium uh, uh, projects in Chile. That's the Laguna Verde and Francisco or Francisco Basin, um, uh, located in the Lithium Triangle. And of course, this is uh, this is the the South America Cone uh, Lithium Triangle, which is which um, many companies are operating in. Um, and uh, of course, there's already good infrastructure in place um, to to help companies uh, um, um, further discover and further get the stuff out of the ground, as it were. Um, and a, a, a great uh, a, a great network of renewable power sources too. So uh, uh, whilst it has these two projects, uh, there are another 120 odd licenses uh, applied for at Lamara, um, which is a low uh, low cost uh, greenfield project to help it further development. Um, and what CleanTech is using is using renewable power to uh, reduce the environmental impact environmental impact of getting the lithium out of the ground by using this direct lithium extraction technique that uh, um, it's uh, it, it removes the lithium from uh, brine uh, that, um, and ultimately uh, gives a better rate of recovery and a purer product um, at the uh, at the end of it. But uh, the 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 big news really that's helped drive the growth in the share price is the resource upgrade to the Laguna Verde uh, project, um, which is a 22% increase to 1.51 million tonnes of lithium lithium carbonate um, at a grade of 206 milligrams per litre, which is hugely substantial. Um, and uh, it, it's a big step forward for for the group. And of course, as you say, as you said, John, you spoke with Aldo Bartano, uh, the chief exec, um, uh, and, uh, and and where it is, the, the resource estimates um, now gives the group um, the basis for a PFS, a pre-feasibility study, um, and the base gauge production rate is 20,000 tonnes of lithium carbon extract per annum, uh, which uh, will be will be produced from using um, uh, um, renewable energy from the region um, and ultimately providing uh, green lithium directly to the EV industry. Um, and as I say, you know, when I look at companies like this, um, I'm, I'm mindful of this this raft of advertising and offers now coming out to get people out of their internal combustion internal combustion engine cars into EVs. And uh, it, you know, it's uh, companies like CleanTech Lithium, I think, are very much at the forefront um, and have a great opportunity in the next few years. Indeed, indeed. I mean, seeing some of the recent figures on on EVs, it, it's you know, even in a time when we're starting to see softer economic conditions, we're starting to see gr- growth in that market accelerate. Um, so, you know, there's lots of different forecasts out there. But around that sort of uh, that period of, of 2030 is is a particular crunch point. And, and companies yeah. like Cleantech Lithium are well placed to to plug that demand gap um, in the uh, in, in lithium and other and other battery metals. So one to keep an eye on. And also, um, if, if listeners are interested in hearing a little bit more from Clean Tech Lithium, do check out our events page because they'll be presenting at the upcoming UK Investor Magazine virtual investor conference on the 27th of September. So do, do check that out and you can hear more from Aldo then. So Alan, the last company that we're going to discuss today is an Aquis listed stock. Looking at its recent raft of news, they've got a lot going on. It's an investment company focused on on mining by the looks of things here. Uh, it's Evrima, 
Um, not one that we've discussed on the podcast previously, so would you have to give us a, a bit of an intro to them and, and you know, try and dissect some of these updates that we've seen? Okay, so so this uh, Ivrima PLC, uh, EVA is their code, as you rightly say, John. They're an Aquis-listed company, and uh, the company has a market capitalization of just over a million currently, um, having traded as high as 4.2p on the year. Um, uh, it, but, but but it's currently currently ju- uh, just below that um, at the moment. Um, so often with investment companies, I think the they they do tend to trade at discount because of course there's no direct influence over the projects. Um, but Avrima um, is, I believe, fundamentally different in that regard. Um, and there are there are two. Well, before we get into the third investment, there are three primary investments. I'm going to discuss the two first of all. Um, one, well, the first one will be, will be very familiar to listeners that know Power Metal Resources, um, in that uh, Avrima um, own a an 8.9 percent stake um, uh, through Kalahari Key Minerals in the Malopo Farms uh, project in Botswana, and of course um, uh, the Malopo Farms project in Botswana. Uh, holds um, or has identified through drilling that was announced at the end of August. They, they've identified a huge anomaly uh, under the ground that uh, they believe is contains a massive uh, a massive sulfides uh, um, uh, a body. And uh, the drilling that they undertook, the first drill hole went went into the ground and came out with nickel sulfide, um, which uh, indicates straight away that they'd tapped into the edge of this huge body. So um, what that did for Power Metal, it took the share price from uh, 0.9p up to as high as 1.67p. So virtually doubling uh, its share price. And of course, in doing so, it's market capitalization as well. Now, you would expect a company with a near 9% stake in that same uh, that same um, uh uh, a resource would would reflect that move also, but the Evrima share price hasn't moved at all. Um, and that first, when I looked at this company first of all, I thought, well, that's not right. Hang on, that's how's it? How come it hasn't moved? Power Metal hold eighty seven point seven one percent of the Malopo Farms project, and uh, um, Kalahari Key Minerals uh, uh, or Evrima through Kalahari Key Minerals hold eight point nine three percent. So there should have been a movement there, so it hasn't. So therefore, it is. It is undervalued on that point. Number two, um, it has a stake in a company called Premium Nickel Resources, which is a TSX listed company, um, and uh, a, a PNRL is the epic code. Um, and uh, Premium Nickel Resources has just completed an RTO with North American Nickel. Um, it's come out to market with a valuation of two hundred and fifty million Canadian dollars. Now. Uh, Ivrima holds 1,114,115 shares, trading at $1.90 after a recent high of $2.60, giving it a stake which is worth in sterling terms 1,398,000. Again, no reflection at all of that valuation in, 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 in the share price. So you add Kalahari Key Minerals, uh, the 8.93% of the Malopo Farms project, and that together, and you've got... Uh, You've got a valuation there, which uh, is is worth many times uh, or many multiples where we are now. Um, with premium nickel resources, the company also has a uh, twelve and a half thousand warrants too, which is uh, which is also worth noting. Now, yesterday the company announced that um, 
Premium Nickel Resources had also set up an international metals group called Premium Nickel Resources International Metals Group, um, PNRL and PNR International Metals. Um, now, the uh, Avrima chairman is a fellow called Simon Grant Rennick, who is well known from the Campbell School of Mines, um, many, many years in public and private company operations. Uh, he's a non-exec director at uh, UK SPAC PLC, iGrain and AAA Capital, um, and has been involved with uh, um, at board level with a number of mining companies over the years. So the uh, Ivrima chairman, Simon Grant Reddick, will be managing director of this new company, uh, Premium uh, Nickel Resources International Metals Group. Um, that company will develop relations with end consumers, EV manufacturers, in regard to the sale of nickel, copper, cobalt and platinum group metals, which the group will produce. So straight away there, as opposed to being a mining investment company, we've got a member of the board now who's, who's actively driving growth in the business, which is, which is hugely important. So we then come to the third the third asset with the group. Um, I, I should mention, um, before I move on to that, that uh, Premium Nickel uh, own, or they 100% own the Salibi mine in Botswana. Um, it's got assets in other countries too, but Salibi covers uh, 11,500 hectares um, in, uh, in Botswana. Uh, there are two existing mine shafts there. Historical production was stopped in 2016 after a, a failure of the processing plant um, and um, Premium Nickel are now bringing that uh, mine back on stream. Um, historical est uh, mineral estimates of 7.8 million tonnes uh, uh, um, at 0.87% nickel uh, and uh, a copper grading as well, which equates uh, uh, um, calculated back to 155,000 tonnes of nickel and 253,000 tonnes of copper. So again, we, we've got that uh, we've got that key connection with Botswana. The third company is Esport Ventures, which is a private uh, Canadian mining company, which has um, has five further assets in Botswana. It has a nickel and copper project called the Celebi Nickel Copper Project, which is south, uh, which is adjacent to the uh, the mine area that I just outlined, run by Premium Nickel Resources. Also has the Mats the Matsitsama Copper Project, the Keng. Nickel Copper Project, Foley Uranium Project, and also the Joanne Diamond Project. So a raft of assets there. Ivrima holds 6.83% in Eastport and with um, with uh, warrants that it also holds, which expire in June 2027. If it's exercise, if those warrants are exercised, Ivrima will hold up to 10% of the company. So um, I said right at the start, mining investment companies often don't get the, the good press they're entitled to. But I think uh, you can look at eSport in detail and see value there. But the first two investments, Kalahari Key Minerals and Premium Nickel Resources uh, alone, should propel the market capitalization to many times where it is now. And just, just, just as a, a recap there, what was the discount currently that you had on this, looking at the, the share price and the, the underlying assets? Obviously, some of them are... Uh, are private and, and, and difficult to to value, but you know, sort of looking at recent estimates, what what does that discount look like? Okay, so so if we just take the premium nickel resources stake on a standalone basis, that's currently worth one million three hundred ninety eight thousand. Okay, the market cap is currently one one point zero five million. So so that stake alone outstrips the current market cap. We then have. The nine percent stake in the Malopo Farmers Project, 
Okay. Now the the uh, the valuation of power metal resources went from something like fourteen million up to twenty five million. So that movement was solely on the back of the find at Malopo Farms. So you know, given if uh, if Rima had shares had risen in a proportionate way, then it should certainly have doubled its valuation on that alone. So you you, can't, you see where I'm coming from here. I think we're I think we're trading currently. You're forgetting esport, forgetting any of that. I think we're trading um, at about a quarter of where the market capitalization should be. Yes, yes. I think you've highlighted there a deep discount in those in those shares. So obviously, yeah, you know, a more, a, you know, one for the more adventurous investor but you know for those that like digging down into different mining projects there i think there's a task to have a look and uh and look for yourself and, and reconfirm what alan just outlined there that there's uh you know what looks to be quite a significant discount so you know as i said one that we've we've touched on on the podcast for the first time but i'm sure one that we will pick up on in the future alan thank you much for being the podcast today thank you john so just as a note to listeners, as I mentioned, we have the UK Investor Magazine virtual conference coming up on the 27th of September and Clean Tech Lithium that we discussed on the podcast today will be presenting. So we'll put a note into uh, a link into the notes of these podcasts so you'll be able to get yourself signed up for that. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember all investment involves risk.